Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Today, I get to chat with Jamie Gilpin. Jamie is the CMO of Sprout Social. Sprout is an amazing company. I mean, they went public just a couple of years ago, and I think the last time I looked, the value of this company is like 10 times that of when it went public. So true rocket ship in a space that maybe for some time we didn't know what social would become. But we hit today on the value of social, where it allows you to connect with your buyers in a meaningful way. What's special about Jamie as we uncover her career of getting to the CMO gig is she talks about the reality that not every path is straight up. You know, a lot of us want to jump into a marketing role and then become a manager and then a director and then a VP and then that CMO. But as Jamie shares, she kind of had this ladder that went side to side along the way up. And doing that allowed her to have the breadth that she needs to be successful, to be able to really combine this idea of storytelling and scrutiny from data to be a CMO for a public company. Tune in right now. Jamie, thanks so much for finding time to chat with us here today about your various journeys. Let's start with your career. And I imagine landing this opportunity at Sprout, which has gone through becoming a public company. Did you know what you were getting into when you signed up? I did. (laughs) I did know what I was getting into. uh, But, you know, all kind of tech companies at a certain stage believe that they're going public. And so it was more of the cool, this is exciting. Let me see how I can help. And and yeah, just a year and a half later, we did it. So it was for sure an exciting, exciting time. And it's still exciting. I mean, the going public is the first part, but the stage that you're now on uh, just creates all kinds of new opportunities for growth, stretching yourself, stretching the team. So yeah, it's been a an awesome ride. So I, I want to eventually wind the clock backwards to figure out how you set yourself up. But when when you talk about going through that ride, you know, that year and a half of getting to the point of being able to go public, what would you say are, are two skills that you had to really refine to be able to get through that process? Yeah, two of the most important, uh, and actually marketing is a really critical part of all of this, especially at Sprout. When I, we can talk about sort of our, our remit is all around revenue. And so we have a very highly efficient inbound model driving 80% plus of new business revenue. And so we are a critical part in in our overall story, but also in our growth strategy overall. So that's a part of it. And if you think about just the the change or not even the change, but but maybe the the ways that you're really honing in and completely drilling in on on the most important parts of your strategy, it's data. So metrics, luckily we've always been a data driven company. And so that ability to see not just from a financial perspective, but performance perspective is, is extremely important uh, in going public because now a lot of that is public knowledge. So there's that. Then the other piece, and this is where, you know, I think, you know, our strength from a marketing perspective really comes through is just storytelling. Regardless of what you're doing, right? Going public, launching a new product, launching a company, 
pivoting a company, which I can talk about that in my past, uh, it, the storytelling piece is so critical. So that vision and how you bring that to life for different audiences, especially for an analyst audience, is definitely a new challenge, but, but probably the my favorite part of, of all of this. So it's interesting, you know, if I'm to recap those two, you've kind of got, you know, that one side of the brain of data scrutiny and the other side of the creative storytelling. And very often, you know, we often think that we're going to hire a marketer for one or the other, and they're going to build a team around them that complements accordingly. Which side of that equation has been the way your career developed until this point where you had to own it all? Yeah. So, and I love this because marketing, we could talk about this for probably like a day, but marketing is so, so I think it's so different from any other. Um, and I came up through sales, so I've got sort of that that background, but so different from any of the departments or, or functions within an organization because it is so diverse, right? Like most of us, and if you think about my career, gosh, I started in marketing 15 years ago. A lot of the roles that I'm leading or functions that I'm leading actually didn't exist when I first started out in marketing. And so, and thinking about like, you've got marketing analysts and technical people from an operations perspective, you've got brand and comps and social product. I mean, I could just go on and on. And most of us in the, especially in the CMO seat, to your point, really came up through like, you know, a certain area. And so I would say my strength, probably because I was a, at least for a short term, a theater major, and then a communications and PR major, my strength is the storytelling and sort of the brand um, and the creative side. But it can't just be that. I mean, I have to balance that with the science and understanding like, sure, the story may be great, but if that's not resonating from a performance perspective, what is that data telling you? And how do you shift now the story and your tactics and strategies to, to support it? And so, yes, that's my, my strength is sort of on that side of the brain, but no one is successful if that's only where they stay. It's really well put in terms of the need to evolve. And, and it's, it's a wild thing to reflect on these roles that exist today that didn't exist or some of the roles that existed back in those days. I remember early 2010 type of time frame, I was trying to hire marketers. And the only job every marketer wanted was to be an inbound marketing manager because inbound was all hot and cool. Now, I don't think you could give out that title if you paid someone extra to take it, right? Like they, you know, marketers want different titles. They want different focus. But I want to come back to this idea of, of loving the storytelling piece, but having to inject that data-driven mindset. You know, for people who, who don't know your journey, you had over a decade at an amazing company called Career Builder. And there, your last stop was VP of marketing, focusing though on the branding side. So was it at that point that you started to inject some of that data mindset or was it when you became a CMO that you found ways to, to marry the two? Yeah, it started actually when I was more, uh, I was director of marketing at some point in that, in that 11 year stint. I actually had 10 different titles in 12 years. What was interesting, at least in that time, you know, marketing was so much more focused on sales support. Now it's called sales enablement, right? Or sales yeah. training. We had a little stent there, but it was really around like, how do you empower? And at that point, gosh, we had 2,000 salespeople. So how do you really empower 2,000 salespeople with one, the leads coming in from top of funnel, but also just the story. And at that point uh, at Career Builder, I don't even know how many acquisitions we went through, but 
it was a hodgepodge of SaaS and advertising and there's some data in there as well. And so how do you bring all of these seemingly disparate type of solutions into one story that's actually meaningful for your customer? And not just from a marketing perspective and how that's really resonates and how that's how that comes through on your website, but with your 2000 plus salespeople, that's a huge megaphone. And what's that consistency of the story they're telling? Is that resonating with customers? How do you bring that back? And so I really started looking at that data probably to, gosh, when was that? 2006, 2007. And that was when I first hired my first marketing analytics professional. We didn't have one before that. And so that's probably where it started. And we just continued to build upon it. But I would say from a data performance, everything else, like, there is nothing like Sprout. I mean, there are obviously other other organizations out there, but but it is a core part of not just how we perform as a marketing team, but as a company. And so I think a big part, you know, as I think about my my career and, and especially where I am today and even at um, Envoy where I was just before, like, yes, the CMO's job is to really understand the data and have that like balance of science and art. But the other piece with the data is if you aren't 100% aligned and understand your company objectives, not just from a revenue perspective and sort of what is the next you know, quarter, we're now on a quarterly basis as a publicly held company, but the year, right? But next year, like what's the vision? Where are you headed? And where do you want to ultimately glean that growth that you have for the organization? Like I have to be in lockstep with our executive team, our board, and really understand what that path looks like and then ensure that marketing's vision, strategy, and how I'm communicating to that team, to our team is really clear. And so, yes, there's a performance side of that, but, you know, I've got a revenue number, right? I have a quota. Um, That's also really important to understand how our storytelling and sort of the art of all of this really supports those business objectives, which is also an art and science in of itself. That's a, that's a great, great way to look at it. And and amazing how you've been able to see that. One of the areas not, not to, go too far from where you're at on, on these two sides of the brain. But one of the things I found really interesting that you were hitting on there is, you know, number one, you, you stayed at a company for over 10 years, which as a marketer just seems wild these days to many of us. But what I found interesting when you were describing that is that you had 10 different titles over that time. And, and I imagine that opportunity to take on different projects, you know, has formed your ability to be flexible now. Do you think that that's, you know, still what we need to be doing with our teams as, as a marketing leader now in terms of, you know, really rotating people through versus letting them sit in a specific title for two, three years? Yeah, I love this. And so, and this is a, a constant drumbeat that I have with, with our team. So in those 12 years, uh, 10 titles, but I also started in sales. So I was a sales rep, right? And then I was a sales manager. And then I did like a little bit of business development partnerships for a bit, and then came over finally into the marketing team about two and a half years later. And and the role that I came into was brand new. So thinking about that, even the company trajectory at that time, and we were growing 50% year over year, right? Like we couldn't keep up fast enough with the demand. And so new roles were popping up everywhere. And so my first role actually in marketing was an enterprise marketing manager. We had no idea what that meant. And so I had to come in and say, okay, I've been an enterprise sales rep. I've led an enterprise sales team for a stint. Really, what do we need to understand in that segment? And how is it different from SMB? And so if I think about back to the storytelling, 
What I loved about sales was going on the sales calls, go meeting with customers, hated cold calling. I was terrible at it, but going and meeting with customers and just like asking them questions and then storytelling, aligning our solution to, to their challenges. And then to be able to do that at scale right now for thousands of customers, obviously I get really excited about this, but it's just such a really, it's just my passion. And so I think thinking about that and understanding in my career path, like what my passions are, but also where my strengths are. And then again, those kind of new roles, just opening up another role that, that came up was we need someone to run our sales training. Okay, cool. Who understands the buyer? Who understands like, you know, storytelling? Jamie, can you take over this team? That was my first VP role. And then uh, a leader left on the marketing side again. And so then they, you know, kind of asked me to, to come over and, and lead the full marketing function, bring sales training with me. And then I went over into biz dev, I think I talked about before. So I just literally like kind of weaved around. And the kind of point I want to stress here, especially with marketers today, is especially in high growth companies, but even in, you know, sort of stable growth companies, it's not a ladder. It's not this like perfectly linear, like pair, you know, ladder up to CMO or VP or even director. It's definitely a crooked ladder. Like I went completely parallel path, like not, no, especially from sales into marketing, I had uh, actually took a step back in pay. Um, and so just thinking about your strengths as a, as a person, as a marketer, and then thinking about this, the challenges or the opportunities that the company has. And then identifying those opportunities for yourself, asking your leadership, like, hey, I identified this, this opportunity for us. Like, what do you think about me going and, and tackling it? But it's not always that like, you know, stepladder into, into those promotions. And so, um, especially in marketing, like I, I, I don't know to your question of like, does a marketer need to like go across the entire marketing team, like be an analyst and then be a product marketer and bring it, be a demand gen Maybe not, but just solving the customer's challenges and then specifically the company's um, opportunities. I think that's where that's where you'll grow. Well, Jamie, we're we're gonna take a quick break here, but I want to come back and talk more about revenue, which you teed up very well earlier in this chat. After this quick break on the marketer's journey, want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. One of the areas that Jamie just hit on is the importance of realizing that your career path is not always gonna be a ladder up. It's more of this zigzag, one way after another. It's that snakes and ladders adventure. And I hit on this in our opening and I wanna really reinforce this now. It's okay to take a step back. Sometimes we realize that our end goal is a little bit different or to get to that end goal, we have certain skills that we wanna round out. And as much as there's a short-term step back, 
You heard Jamie say sometimes she even took salary decreases in, in that journey. It ultimately took her to a place of true success and true happiness. And I think that's something important for us to reflect wherever we are in our own journeys. Welcome back to The Marketer's Journey. We're chatting with Jamie. And Jamie, in the first part of our combo, you admitted that so much of your revenue starts from an inbound source. People coming to your site, signing up. And you know, at Uberflip, we actually became Sprout customers ourselves through that inbound funnel, I believe. You know, we signed up. I don't think we needed a credit card from what I understand with my team. But eventually, over time, we signed a longer-term contract. I'm wondering if that's the long-term vision now for how you're thinking about getting customers, or is that changed now that you're a public company landing some of the biggest enterprises out there? I wouldn't say it changed. I would say there's an and strategy okay. to this, not an or. If you think about just the massive growth that we've been able to sustain year over year from you know the 11 years that we we're that we were founded. We the inbound has been just the the core part of that. Like even well before I came on to to Sprout, one of the first hires, not just like marketers, but first hires at Sprout was a demand gen, an inbound marketer that that we were laughing about <laughs> before. That foundation was built a, literally eleven years ago, and so the the strength of that funnel and being able to drive you know eighty percent of our new business across every segment, right? And, and pretty even across those segments. And in fact, our enterprise um, segment is growing the most. That's still a core part of that. So if you think about the buyer journey with an enterprise uh, organization, for instance, you'll have multiple buyers or users coming through our trial funnel. That now becomes like a net new opportunity, right? For our enterprise sales team to now outbound to, to get to the, to the true decision maker. And so it's still a core part of that. And part of this is... But there's also an outbound side of it. And, and as I think about the critical part of content in all of this, we continue to find new opportunities to, to talk to different personas, new use cases, right? Like social is so much more than it was 11 years ago, like publishing and engagement, critical, probably the reason why you came into the funnel, right? Still an important part of the entire strategy, but now we have commerce and listening and all of these other kind of more sophisticated type of you know, feature solutions, et cetera. And so how does our content then evolve? Speak to those personas in a different way. Speak to those, those levels of sophistication in a different way. And through all of this, probably won't be surprising to you, like the social insights that we glean from our audience, not just the audience that follows us, but the broader sort of social sphere fuels all of that. So from a campaign perspective, from you know where our content is resonating, where we need to double down more to obviously how that informs our SEO. Like that is the kind of the, I would say our secret sauce or secret weapon in both inbound and outbound. So I want to go a little bit deep, deeper on the inbound piece and specifically you hit on SEO, which every marketer has as a check mark on their go-to-market. You know, the other area that would naturally be a focus for you is social, which you hit on as well, which is another great, in my mind, inbound channel. And you talked about the role of content. How do you make sure that someone 
clicks on that CTA, if you will, inside of a, a social post, and that they arrive at content that is as relevant as you just described. Yeah. So there's two two parts of this. Social as a channel for us is I wouldn't I won't even call it as a as a channel as a, a core part of our strategy for us is one like what you're talking about like publishing, right? Like what content are we going to publish? What does that editorial calendar look like? How are we going to ensure that when they are clicking on those posts that we're actually engaging back with them, getting them to the right place on the on our website, but also on our insights, which is our blog, and then ensuring that we understand, especially if they're going to the content on our, on our insights blog, how are we going to pull them through that funnel to get to the, to the marketing site, start a trial, be a lead or, or even a demo request. The other part of social though, for us, uh, and this is where, you know, the kind of secret sauce or competitive advantage comes in. Others have this competitive advantage too, if you're using social, but, but it's really in the listening. If I think about, you know, some of our most successful campaigns, um, you know, even last year we were 2020 of March, like stop our campaigns, like even pause our social uh, publishing because we have to like get a, a sentiment check of how our audience is feeling, what they're going through, what they're trying to navigate. So, you know, going to listening, understanding where they're most consumed, it was burnout. And this was before, you know, burnout was so popular as it is today, but that literally informed our product story that informed, you know, how we were engaging with our customers from a social perspective, but it also informed our campaigns, our SEO, everything else. And that truly, I think part of it was a little bit of a demand, just a macro demand. Okay. A lot of it was probably a macro demand um, increase, just that when every door was closed, like social was your, was your main door open. But it also, you know, I can't stress enough just the performance of the team. And that really propelled us not just through March and April, but into one of the best years that we've ever had as a company. And so that's the kind of the, the core parts of it. It's like, you know, yeah, social can be that awareness strategy, but it also can be that, that critical business insights kind of pool, if you will, focus group, real time audience understanding that you can actually pull through in your website campaigns storytelling, everything else. So I'm interested, I mean, there's an interesting, you know, meta element of what you just walked through there where you went into listening mode, understood what, what was going to be key to people. I, just to clarify though, was, was the big year you had a result of really encouraging your customers to go into listening mode as well? Is that why you think you had the spike that many of us had to go to social to figure out how people felt because we we couldn't do our in-person cab meetings. Yeah. We couldn't go do field marketing events. We couldn't attend conferences. Was was social really just the best way to get in front of buyers? I think it's the best way to get in front of buyers, but I also think it's the best way to glean those insights that you just went through. And especially real time. I mean, when things are changing so quickly, you can't rely on a survey once a year to understand right. what your customers are feeling, right? You can't... And for sure, you can't rely on events. And so that ability to have that real time, like focus group, if you will, one was a, a superpower for us, but for sure, our customers as well. Very interesting. And maybe just like to get a little in the weeds for people who are trying to understand the type of things that we can listen to and learn from our customers. Is this done by following specific accounts or customers? and aggregating that data in some sort of way, or is it more anecdotal? 
how do you how do you strategically go about that and rally your team? Yeah, so it's we we don't have to get into the product stuff. You can learn about that on our site if you want to. But from a from a listening perspective, or, or from a date, let's just call it data, like marketing data. There's two forms of it, right? There's the data that you own. So this is even if we again move away from social, it's your performance data. It's what's happening on your website. It's your, your funnel um, optimization, it's all of those sort of pieces of it, including social and who's clicking on things and, and all of the, the analytics that you can pull from there. But then there's the unowned. And so the unowned data is where I get most excited about this like real-time focus group. It's not just your audience, it's terms in general in the social sphere that people are using. And a good example of this, uh, maybe just to make this like really literal. So we launched um, a new product, Social Commerce, earlier this year. And what's interesting with this with this product is it brings like the cash register, if you will, into your social experience versus having people go to the website. And so social is now moving from that like awareness play to being that point of sale. But this is super new for people. And in fact, the networks are like still trying to figure this out. So it's evolving so quickly. And so we launched quickly. Um, and early, I would say, but and started listening to our audience and realized that they were using things like not just social commerce, but community commerce and conversational commerce and all these ways that the world of social commerce was evolving in real time. And so now we can use those keywords in our content from an SEO perspective. That then informs our product marketing strategy and how we're positioning the product, right? Like so there's all of this opportunity to not just inform our campaigns but how we're talking about things, how quickly it's evolving. Um, so just a kind of like a real, real-time real example of how we're using it, even in product. Very cool. I like getting into the weeds a bit there. And uh, thanks, thanks for giving us a real-life example. We're going to keep you around here. One more quick break. We've got some quick rapid-fire questions to wrap up right here on The Marketer's Journey. All right, Jamie, we have unpacked your career journey, how it all began with Career Builder, how you're in hyper growth mode with a public company at Sprout. We talked a little bit about the role of social in that listening. Now we're going to go with some higher level rapid fire questions for you uh, and finish off with a real personal one. So first question, are you ready? I think so. All right. <laughs> I told you I didn't like cold calling. I'm not a salesperson <laughs> for a reason, but I'll be quick. All right. So the, the first question, we, we kind of hit on this a bit when you talked about that ladder that people have to hit on, but I'm wondering your thought on whether the, you know, the future CMO is going to come from being more of a specialist in an area or more of a generalist. I'm going to say on my business school uh, answer, it's both. I think it depends on the person and the CMO and especially the company from a specialist perspective, if they are in high growth demand gen, then if they probably need to come up through that, if they are in more of the brand piece and really like capturing new market share, they probably need to be uh, more focused there. But being able to gen be a generalist is mission critical in all of it. Well put, well put. All right. Next one. In general, with your marketing team, what's one thing you wish everyone just did more of on a day-to-day -day basis? Saying no. And then testing. I know I said too, but you know this as a marketer, like there's so much that we can do, but what should we do? 
and really honing in on that. How, how do you balance that? I mean, this is an off the cuff question sticking to our rapid fire. How do you balance accepting that no with ensuring people are still open to being bold? It's still risk, right? Like you still want to take risks. And even the things that you're saying yes to, how do you test and iterate and ensure that those things that you're doing are bold? But it's all the things that we get asked to do or the things that we could do that can really weigh us down. Well put. All right. You hit earlier on the importance of content in that buyer journey, in that inbound funnel. When you think of great content marketing, what comes to your mind? What words come to mind? Two or three. Relevant. Inspirational. Authentic. I like them. I definitely love that relevance term. More contextual to the space you're in, you know, this past year, you maybe already told us the importance of listening, but what's a really important trend in social media that's kind of come out of the realities of the pandemic? Yeah, so I think there's a, a couple, and this is a little bit on the user side, but creators. And so we talked about influencers right before. Now this we are in like deep in the creator trend. TikTok is probably a good reason for that. But that's a big one. Social commerce, I talked about before, a new trend, but probably one of the biggest opportunities in social. Listening is probably less of a trend because it's been around for a long time. But the ways in which brands, customers, B2B are leveraging listening to untap business opportunities versus just like marketing opportunities, that's probably the, the trend in listening. Love it. My last question for you ties together the journeys that we've hit on, and that is, how do you take a break as a busy CMO, and where's that next break going to be on the personal side? Ooh, all right. So I'm not great at this, even though I encourage and direct my entire team to be better at this. But the, the breaks for me are like really disconnecting. And so even on the weekends, and this is more of a Sprout culture thing, like we're not on email. We're not on Slack. If you're sending something, like make sure you're timing it for a Monday so that people aren't distracted and just completely disconnecting. Um, I try to do that. It's not always my strong suit. And then vacation-wise, we try to take at least three as a family. I've got two little guys. And we'll either go to Florida. In the past, we went to Ireland. But we try to at least take you know three full week, if not more, vacations. And my next one is Florida. Sounds nice and warm, uh, especially this time of year. Everyone needs a little bit of Florida for sure. That, that's great. And, and really great advice on scheduling that send. I mean, it, it sounds so difficult, but I mean, you know, Gmail has made it part of that button. I think Slack has even made it part of their button now. You know, it's no longer this special command. We just have to embrace that and respect people's timelines and, and boundaries. So much great advice today, Jamie. I, I can't thank you enough for jumping on and sharing with us your journey, your team's journey. Uh, this has been a great episode. If you're tuning in for the first time, check out all the other great marketing leaders who have joined and shared their journey. Everyone's is a little unique, including yours, of course, and hopefully one day you'll share it on this podcast. Until next time, thanks for tuning in to the Marketer's Journey. 
You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, at uberflip.com slash podcast, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. 